You're listening to a message delivered at First Family Church from the series, The Kings and the King, Expectation in the Books of the Kings. For more information and messages, visit our website at firstfamily.church. Buckle in, grab your Bibles, and we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 21. 2 Kings chapter 21. Well, we have been building to this Over the last handful of weeks, you guys at First Family have been building to this for two years. Uh, You guys started this long before I was even in the pipeline of potentially coming here. And now, uh, over these next two weeks, as we draw this Second Kings series to a close, we're going to look at a really interesting text this morning, which I think draws us into uh, the Advent Christmas season, right? Because when we think about the holidays, some of us get really excited because we're gathering together with family. We're going to have a a table full of food. We just get to eat lots and lots of food. Amen? But some of us, when we think about gathering together for the holidays, we cringe because we know that Cousin Eddie is coming. Right? Those of you that laugh got the movie reference, so I appreciate that. But you guys know that when we talk about gathering together for the holidays, that some of us cringe because there's a certain family member that's coming that we don't want to see. We don't want to be in the same room. We don't even want to be under the same roof with that person. And so it draws us to think about our family tree. Guys, all of our family trees are the same. All of our family trees are the same. It starts somewhere and it gets to us. And at some point in that line, there's some crazy people. Some of us get the great fortunate privilege of living during the same generation as some of those crazy people. Some of those family trees, the crazy people are generations before us. And for some of us, some of those crazy people might be the generations coming after us. And when we look at the family tree of Jesus, it's no different. Matthew chapter 1, we see the genealogy of Jesus. And in verse 10 it says, And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah. Folks, this is where we're going to sit This morning, last week we looked at Hezekiah, who was a good king in Judah. And quickly after that, here comes his son Manasseh onto the scene, wrecking everything. And then Manasseh leaves the scene, and here comes Josiah to right the ship again. It continues to go. And ironically, the family tree of the Messiah is no different than any of our family trees. There are good and there are bad people, but the question is, what perspective are we looking at that family tree? Are we looking at it from our perspective in that we just want to make sure that we have a good reputation? That all of the members of our family tree are good people who have followed the law for years. And now we can stand on their shoulders. Or are we looking at it from God's perspective, which is what I want us to do this morning, and see that even in 
the bad kings. Even in the weak moments, God's light still shines through. Amen? Amen? So go with me to 2 Kings chapter 21. 2 Kings chapter 21. Last week, we looked at Hezekiah, a good king, and chapter 21 begins with Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Hezekiah was a good king. He was a good king. He destroyed the high places, something that other kings before him hadn't done. He drew people to worship God, to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And even after Hezekiah has left the scene, he's passed away, here comes his son stepping on in the scene. Manasseh is the worst king in Judah. The worst. And yet he had a good father. We're going to see in a little bit that Manasseh, as bad as he was, his grandson, Josiah, was the best king in Judah since David. Folks, family trees have good and bad people all over the place. Amen? They just do. And when we look at kings, it's no different. When we look towards the Expected Messiah, as we read through the text, it's no different. There's good and bad kings all over the place. Manasseh was the worst king of Judah. Look at this list of some of the things that he did that we see in 2 Kings 21. He rebuilt the high places. His dad, Hezekiah, had just tore all of those down. Dad's dead, I'm going to do what I want to, so I'm going to rebuild all of those high places. He erected altars for Baal. He led the people of God to worship a false god again. He made an Asherah. He built altars in the house of God. He went into the house of God and defiled it by building altars to false gods. And if you think that's bad, look at the next one. He burned his son. He offered his son as a sacrifice on the altar. That's a really messed up family tree. He used fortune telling and omens. He dealt with mediums and necromancers. Manasseh was the worst king in Judah. The worst. And I think when we look at this, just like the temptation is when we look at other passages of Scripture, we're really quick to look and say, man, look how bad he was. I'm glad I'm not that bad. We immediately remove ourselves and look at how bad things were. But here's what I want you to see in the text as we work through this this morning and ask the question, what does God require? Is that when we look at the story of Manasseh and we look at his reign, 55 years of reign, he was disobedient to what God asked of his people. He was disobedient. It was clear what God was after. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me in chapter 21. 
And I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers. If only, look at this, if only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. God was clear to lay out what he required and what he desired of his people. And it says that they didn't do what was commanded of them. It was simple. Here it is. Do this. Do these things. Don't do these things. Here's the list. And yet they followed the lead of Manasseh and did what was evil in the sight of God and did worse than what the other nations before them had done. That's no different than we see in the garden. Adam and Eve were in the garden and God clearly laid out for them what was required of them. Obedience. That you do not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did they do? They fell into temptation. They did what was right in their own eyes. And they ate of the fruit. Disobedience. Manasseh does the same. He leads the people into disobedience. And because of that, look at 12 through 15. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle, and I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, and wiping it and turning it upside down. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming because God was clear what he required in laying out his commands for the people. And they did what was evil in the sight of God. They followed Manasseh. Manasseh, the worst king, leads them into disobedience. And it would seem that at this moment, because of how terrible Manasseh is how terrible uh, the things are that are happening, that the people are not following the Lord, that they're following Manasseh, that this would signify the end. But there's another glimmer of hope. There's another glimmer of hope. Look at 2 Kings 22. 2 Kings 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old. When he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Manasseh has died. His son Amon has taken his place. Amon gets a a great uh, reign of two years. Continuing what Manasseh has done. And now Amon is gone and here comes Josiah. And it says in verse 2 of chapter 22. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. 
It seems as if Manasseh would signify the end of Judah, but there's one last glimmer of hope as Josiah steps on the scene. It says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He's the best king since David. If you look at uh, chapter 23 of 2 Kings, chapter 23 in verse 25, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Josiah is on the scene. He's sitting on the throne. He's the best king since David. And now he's setting out to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord and reverse everything that his grandfather Manasseh has done. You see, the family tree was bad with Manasseh. But it took a turn in the right direction with Josiah. Amen? No different than our family tree. There are some issues within our family trees. There's issues within my family tree. I'm one of those people that I cringe a little bit when the holidays come because I know certain people are coming. And the reason I cringe is not because I don't love those people. It's because those people do what's right in their own eyes and seek to divide the family. That doesn't sit well with me. But here's what you also have to understand, that our family tree looks different whether or not we're following the Lord. Because some in our family aren't. I'm the first believer in my family. My family tree looks different. I broke the family tree and now I'm setting out on a new family tree with my family. Amen? It's the same for years. Your family tree can look different. It doesn't always have to be like Manasseh. But here's what I want you to understand is that when we look at Josiah, we're going to see some really cool things that are going to happen here. But partial or delayed obedience is still disobedience. You see, Josiah came onto the scene, and if you look back through the previous kings, there were some good things that happened. Right? There were some good things that happened in the kingdom of Judah, but they weren't always following it to a T. God was clear what he was commanding them, and sometimes they would do some of it, but not all of it. And see, I think we try to justify what we do by saying, yeah, I partially obeyed that. Right? Or I eventually obeyed that. But partial or delayed obedience is disobedience in that moment. Because what God requires is something far greater than that. And I think that Josiah understood that. We see in chapter 23, Josiah's reforms. Look at this list and some of the things that Josiah did. You remember how bad Manasseh was and the things that Manasseh had done. That he had quickly turned the kingdom back around from where Hezekiah had it. And then Josiah steps on the scene and he repairs the temple. It says that he burned the vessels for Baal, the Asherah, and the host of heaven. He disposed the, the priest, 
who made offerings in the high places. He broke down the houses of prostitutes. He brought the priests out of Judah. He defiled the high places. He broke down those high places. And then he restores the Passover. See, Josiah was a good king. He was a good part of the family tree. It says he was the best king since David. He was doing what was right in the eyes of God. And and I think at least my temptation is when I look at a text like this, I'm like, yeah, I want to do those things, right? We see all the bad stuff that happens in our culture, and and we have this Josiah moment that we're just going to reform everything. And that gets really difficult, doesn't it? It gets really discouraging. And here's why I think it happens in that way. Because I think that oftentimes when we try to reform things, we're after behavior modification. We're after the outward things, but I think God requires a little bit more. Do you agree with that? That we're after reforming the outside because we want the outside. Go back to the family tree. We want the right perception And so when we're in public, our kids are going to act exactly the way they should. Right? But really at home, everything's crumbling. Because we're just after behavior modification. Did you know that when you try to modify behavior and just reform the outside, that eventually it turns back into what it was before that you tried to reform? It doesn't last, does it? It doesn't last, but I think that there's some some things that we can see here in the text. And if we look at Manasseh disobedience, I think we see Josiah's obedience, right? In that surely, surely, after everything that Manasseh has done, now Josiah has reformed all of these things that God is going to extend some grace to the kingdom, right? That's what we're hoping for, that there's some grace that's extended, but verse 13 of chapter 22, verse 13 of chapter 22, looking at Josiah, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning it. Josiah was trying to repair the temple. And in the process of repairing the temple, the priests found the book of the law. And they brought it to Josiah, and they read it to him, and he immediately tore his clothes. He wept before the Lord, and he said, everyone needs to hear this. Everyone needs to hear this. In verse 13, he says, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people, for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. You see, I think that Josiah understood that God desired more than just behavior modification. Look at chapter 22 and verses 16 through 20. 
Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and made and have made offerings to other gods that they, may, they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. Really? Lord, why can't you show some more grace here? Like, we know what Manasseh has done, but look at what Josiah is doing. Why isn't there some more grace? Verse 18. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, Because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace." And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. There is some grace for Josiah. Because of the way that he responded to what the Lord desired. The book had been read to him. He tore his clothes. He wept. And the Lord said, I'm not going to remove my wrath from the people of Judah, but because of the way that you responded, I will show you some grace that you're not going to have to see this disaster. In spite of Josiah's reforms, God is still a God of judgment. It's been coming. There's going to be judgment on Judah, and it's because of their disobedience. God was clear what he required, what he desired of his people, and because that wasn't true of them, because there was evil in the sight of the Lord, disaster was coming. Disaster was coming. So Josiah leads these reforms. Look at the end of chapter 23. In verse 26. Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel And I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. How often when we look at our lives and we discover how wretched and awful and disobedient we've been, we we find one of those passages in God's word that clearly says that what we're doing and how we're living is wrong 
and defiling of what God has desired for us, how many of us try to modify our behavior and then because we've modified the behavior and changed the outward appearance, now we expect God to remove his hand of wrath. We expect him to change his mind that there's no judgment that needs to happen because we've changed our behavior. But how patient has God been with us? How patient has he been with the people of Judah? Yeah, there's been some good kings. But there's also been some really bad ones. There's been disobedience. We see the disobedience of Manasseh. We see Josiah's obedience in following what the law commanded and leading these reforms. But here's the question. Why didn't it last? Why didn't it last? Because if, if the glimmer of hope is Josiah, then why at the end of chapter 23 when Josiah dies and then we move into chapter 24, is wrath still coming on Judah and they're taken into exile? Because the reforms didn't last. Because although Josiah understood that it was more than just behavior modification, that it was a heart issue, that God desired radical obedience of the heart, there probably was a group of people under Josiah's rule that were just going through the motions. They saw the king on the throne. They heard what he was saying. They applauded the reforms that were happening. And maybe some of them were going through the motions and actually helping some of those things happen. They were helping tear down some of those altars. They were helping to defile those altars before they're, they're torn down. They're helping to repair the temple. But why didn't it last? Because they were just modifying their behavior. They were changing what they were doing on the outside. But there was no heart change. So when we look at these two kings, we look at Manasseh, there's a strong contrast here, right? Manasseh, the worst king of Judah. The worst. He's rebuilt the high places. He's defiled the temple of God. He's leading people to worship false gods. He's doing what's evil in the sight of God. He's disobedient to God's commands. And then we see the stark contrast with Josiah, that Josiah has now taken the throne. The book of the law has been found. He sees what's required of God's people. He weeps. He tears his clothes because he realizes that some people have been going through the motions and we haven't been serving God with all of our hearts. And it's even true when you look at the restoration of the Passover. He says that no such Passover like this had been observed by the people. That doesn't mean they haven't eaten. That doesn't mean that they haven't even celebrated the Passover. I think that means that they've gathered together for the holidays and they forgot the meaning of why they're gathering. That might be true of some of us. 
we gather together with our family because we love being together with our family. We love eating together. We love sharing gifts together and blessing other people. But have we forgotten the real reason that we gather together? You see, I think Josiah realized that there were some people going through the motions. And I believe that some of you might be thinking that there is no way that the Lord could or even would save some of these people that are just modifying their behavior. There's no way that God would save somebody like Manasseh. Right? You feel that tension. Look at 2 Chronicles 33. 2 Chronicles 33. There's absolutely no way that God would save somebody like Manasseh. 2 Chronicles 33, verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and, his, and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. Look at verse 12. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Folks, I believe Manasseh is going to be in heaven with us. That he humbled himself before the Lord. And this is one of those difficult questions that we ask. How in the world can somebody that bad, that bad, the worst king of Judah, how in the world could God ever save him? Folks, here's the real question. How in the world could God ever save us? You see, it's really easy for us to compare our outward appearance to the outward appearance of Manasseh. Behavior modification. There's a difference in the outward appearance. There's, I'm not building any altars to false gods. I'm not leading a nation to go away from the book of the law and to do what's evil in the sight of God. We're trying to rank how good and how bad we are. But we rank it according to the wrong standard. See, Jesus is the standard. He's the perfection. Romans 3.23 says that all have fallen short. Right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God because we're all sinful. We're all sinful. And here's the question that we ask, that tension because of the disobedience of Manasseh. How could God ever save someone like that? And I want to put it back on me. How in the world could God save someone like me? Here's the truth of it. I mentioned earlier that I'm the first believer in my family. For 15 years, I've been following the Lord. For 15 years, 
I've been praying that God would save my dad. And he hasn't. But I don't believe that he can't. Do you believe that? Listen, there's somebody in your family tree that you're cringing about seeing in a couple weeks. Do they need Jesus? Could you be the one to share the gospel with them? We, we, we don't know what happens with Manasseh. We don't know if someone encounters him and shares the truth of who God is. But somehow, somehow God gets to Manasseh. And it says... That Manasseh entreated the favor of the Lord his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Folks, isn't that our prayer? That people who are far from God, people who maybe society looks at and says, that's the worst person ever. Isn't that our prayer that they would know that the Lord is God? Maybe it's not. Maybe that's a heart reflection for us this morning that we only want God to save certain people. Maybe that's something that we need to reflect on. But here's what I think is the truth of the text. No one has sinned so much that God's grace is not enough to forgive them. No one has sinned so much that God's grace is not enough to forgive you. See, you may be sitting in here this morning thinking there is absolutely no way that God would ever forgive me of the things that I've done. I'm too far gone. We've heard that before, right? There's no way that God would ever forgive me of all the things that I've done. Folks, take them to 2 Chronicles 33. Show them Manasseh, the worst king of Judah. And yet God would save him. Here's the truth for us. We see the disobedience of Manasseh. We see the obedience of Josiah, the truth is that God requires obedience for us. He requires obedience for us. If you would, go with me to 1 John chapter 2. I want to finish here. We're going to have this on the screen as well. 1 John chapter 2. We've, we've seen the disobedience of Manasseh. We've seen the obedience of Josiah, and, and we've, we've talked about this, these outward reforms. Is, is it outward forms? Is Josiah really going uh, to these reforms because of his heart? I believe that he is, and I believe the text says that, that he did it with all of his heart. But yet there's this group of people there that are probably going through the motions, which is why it doesn't last. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what does God require of us? And I think it's clear, obedience is what he requires. Look at this text in 1 John chapter 2. And this starts with, 
with verse 2, but I want, I want to read verse 1 uh, to set this up. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, John is writing these things so that his readers won't sin, so that we know what God requires. Look with me in verse 2. He, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Scripture clearly lays out for us what God requires of us. That we would walk in his commands. That whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's, a, that's difficult for us to hear. I have a relationship with God. I know what His commandments are, but am I following them? Whoever says I know Him but does not keep His commandments is a liar. You see, folks, we can't read through the text and find the commandments that are easy to obey and just obey those. We have to follow all of the commands of God to be faithful to His Word. Not to outward reform. Not to behavior modification. Not to make sure that we have the right reputation. Because when we're following all the commands of God, I believe that people will respect us, but they're not going to like us. So our reputation may not be great in their eyes. If we know him, we follow his word. Whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Our family tree may be difficult, right? Maybe there's not a Manasseh in there. But maybe... Maybe there's a Saul before he became the Apostle Paul. Maybe there's someone in your family who just persecutes you because you give up Sunday mornings to be gathered together with God's people. Maybe there's some, someone in your family tree who ridicules you for the things that you do and the things that you don't do. Sometimes it's difficult to hear those things, right? But we still have to be faithful to God's word. We have to be faithful to following him, to do what he's commanded of us. And I think it's clear in 1 John that we're to keep those commandments. 
It says, by this, at the end of verse 5, end of verse 6, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Manasseh was the worst king of Judah. Josiah was the best king since David. But both of them fall short of the king of kings. Jesus. Jesus wasn't after behavior modification then, and he's not after it now. What he's after is radical obedience of the heart. Radical obedience of the heart. Let me tie this together with our take-home truth this morning. The Lord is not after behavior modification. He requires radical obedience of the heart, which only comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Behavior modification is something that we try to do. And honestly, I think we have good intentions when we try to modify our behavior. But it's not lasting it's not lasting. That group of people that was under Josiah's throne, going through the motions, as soon as Josiah is gone, they've gone back to following their own ways. If we're just modifying our behavior, when we get into that moment of temptation, it's going to be really easy to fall back to what we've always done because God is after our hearts. A radical obedience of the heart, which only comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Even if, even if at some point Manasseh decided, you know what, I'm not going to do these things anymore. I'm going to do what's right in the eyes of God. He still needed to be humbled before the Lord and still receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? And it's true for us. It's true for us. There is no one in this room this morning that's beyond God's grace. No one. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, you can still come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God knew what was going on in the kingdom. He knew from the beginning in the garden in Genesis 3, that Jesus had to come. The Savior had to come. There had to be a way because there's no way that we can do enough good things to cover up all the bad that we've done. There's no way that Manasseh could have stopped doing all those bad things and started doing good things and covered up all the bad that he had done. We need the grace of Jesus. Amen? And so does the crazy person in our family tree that we're all going to see in a couple weeks. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.